0: Now I know that my family did not come to the United States before the Second World War. If they had, they would have transited, transited through Ellis Island, which was a central terminal that immigrants were processed through the late 1980s until the mid, excuse me, through the late 1800s until the mid 1930s. I know this because my last name, Flansreich, is unchanged from its original German. Countless are the Goldreichs who became Golds, the Schmushkins who became Smiths, the Nachtengall who became Nightingale, Freundlicht who became Friendly. As the immigrants were processed by the agents who had no time or ability to record the name as the many, who themselves could barely speak English in the first place, as they gave their last names. In fact, it is believed that the anti-Semitic slur kike came from, into being as the Russian and Polish Jews who were deeply observant. They were unable to sign their name on the immigration forums, and they didn't want to use an X, because they believed that it looked like a cross. So instead, they would sign with a circle. And the word for circle in German is Keiko. Hence, kike. They tell the border agents, keikel, keikel, where they would often sign. And that's where the slur, according to sums, came from. But where, whatever and whenever it may have come from, this one is well known to us, that the fear and loathing of immigrants didn't begin with the 2016 American presidential election or with the teeming masses of Jews escaping Russia and Poland more than 100 years ago No, as long as humans have collected themselves into societies, there have been those who have been looking to escape collapsing ones to go to successful ones. And one of the things that I find inspiring and challenging is looking at something that I may have read hundreds of times and then asking myself, Have I seen or do I know everything there is to know in these words? There's a small item that is mentioned in the Exodus from Egypt. Embedded deep in the text, we are told that not only did the Israelites leave when the Egyptian empire collapsed, but that another set of people called the Erev Rav, translated in English as the mixed multitude, who saw the jail doors open of Egypt And they ran out when they had the chance that it showed itself. And these people leave not alongside the Israelites, but the text tells them they leave with them. Like the the waves of Swedes and Germans and other Europeans who flocked to Israel after the Six-Day War to live on kibbutzim. This makes the question of what should they do with them. Do they join the Israelites into the Promised Land, and do they build their future along with them? And more than 3,000 years later, this question never ends. Over the past weeks, as now I'm back from my sabbatical in Berlin, I have shared with you my thoughts on history and anti-Semitism and the challenge of seeing the world with the eyes of being in a different place that have been given to me. But this morning, I want to kind of close things off with an explanation of why I went there in the first place. For someone who has devoted their energies and thinking to Jewish communal life, I've come to know that the North American Jewish world is unlike any other Jewish community in the world. Growing up here, you have grown accustomed to thinking that this is the way that it is supposed to be and this might be the way that it is everywhere. The world of Jewish day schools and Jewish camps, of JCCs and federations, all of which, by the way, are a post-Second World War North American suburban phenomena. But the foundations of that world, the post-World War II North American suburban Jewish phenomena, that world is cracking, and with it the assumptions that built one of the greatest Jewish communities the world had ever seen. And the question for us is what now comes in its place? Because we know that things have changed. I went to Germany in part because if you want to know where the Jewish world is going, then you can do little better than seeing how Jews live and identify in Berlin. In Germany, for example, there is no such thing as choosing to join a synagogue. On a person's annual tax form, they self-declare if they're a Jew, and then 4% of their taxes directed to the Eingemeinde House, a central Jewish organization that pays for the building and running of synagogues, for rabbis and for cantors, for the Jewish schools and summer camps. It pays for the functioning of the JCCs, and it even subsidizes some kosher restaurants of the nearly 225,000 Jews who are believed to live in Germany, only about half self-declare. And I know what you're thinking. Why half? And that's because Germany's post-war Jewish history is made up of two chapters. The chapter of surviving Jews who return to Germany to find surviving relatives who end up staying there. And the second chapter begins in 1989 with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the German government extending to Soviet Union Jews immediate citizenship. Apart from Israel, Germany became the second easiest place for these Jews to immigrate to. And in the end, nearly a 100,000 former Soviet Jews would then settle in Germany, effectively doubling its Jewish population in under five years. And while the numbers dramatically increase to these Jews... Many of them who lived in an atheist state, one that impressed anybody who openly identified as a Jew, they weren't so open to self-declaring themselves as Jews. Many also came from mixed families, families where maybe there was only a Jewish father, leaving their religious identities in deep limbo because Jewish tradition teaches what many of us know, that Jewish mothers give birth to Jewish children and not the other way. And yet, if you ask these people how they identify, they say Jewishly. I know this problem closely. When I was in the army, one of the soldiers that was in my unit was a Russian emigre. His father was a Jew, his mother was not. He wore a uniform, held a gun, guarded the border and stood ready to take a bullet to to protect the Jewish state. Would anyone dare say he is not as much as a Jew as you or I are? Now with more than a million former Soviet Jews and their descendants living in Israel, Israel is facing this question deeply. In fact, very deeply. The question not of their Jewishness, but if they are Jews, is second perhaps only to Iran while giving very little attention in the North American Jewish press, is one of the great political powder kegs in Israel today. And on the weekends, when we were in Berlin, I would go to the 120-year-old Frankenlofer Synagogue on Shabbat mornings because many of my students were, were rabbinic interns there, and they asked me to come and teach and speak. And it was there on those Shabbat mornings that I met second and now third generation Soviet Jews who were passionately rediscovering their Jewish history and they want to be a part of it. I met German Jews by choice who were married to Jews. I met people who were passionately in love with the Jewish community and wanted to serve it. I met young families with children, school programs and nurseries that were full, classes brimming with adults, which led me to ask the question that I want to share with you this morning. My mother didn't ask me what religion I wanted to be when I came into this world. Perhaps that is true for you too. What then is left for me to choose? Our answer will come in time. But first, let our turn our hearts to some music and prayer. Please rise on page 360. So I had left you with the question, I'm going to answer, at least try. The question was, my mother didn't ask me what religion I wanted to be before I was born. So what then is left for me to choose? Before I actually answer the story, I'm going to tell you a story. (laughs) It's a rabbi thing. This story actually involves a very famous German rabbi who emigrated to the United States before the war broke out. His name was Joachim uh, Prinz. Settled in New Jersey. Anyways, after the Second World War, a few months afterwards, before the founding of the State of Israel, he receives a phone call, and it says that at the behest of the future State of Israel, the Zionist movement, he is asked to come to London. He didn't know what it was for, but the next day a car showed up with two men. They take him to the airport, and they fly him out to London. When he arrives in London, there are two men there in dark suits, pick him up, and they bring him to a hotel in London. It is there that someone walks in. It is David Ben-Gurion. Ben-Gurion says to the rabbi, he has a favor to ask. His son, David's son, Amos, had been wounded in a defensive skirmish in what was then Palestine, would become now the state of Israel, and he had fallen in love with the Christian nurse who had cared for him. Her name was Mary. He asked the rabbi, now with the state on Brinkhood, Ben-Gurion understood that this is a political powder keg and he needed to resolve quickly because they wanted to marry. Ben-Gurion asked the rabbi if on this weekend, if he can convert Mary. The rabbi looked at him and he realized the world was a very different place now than maybe it had been five or six years before. And maybe things needed to be done a little bit differently. Prince, in his memoirs, goes to write, he spent the entire weekend, Friday to Sunday, studying with Mary. It was completely over the course of the entire weekend, without interruption. Come to Sunday, he decides that she had gleaned all that he could teach her over that time. He brings it to the mikveh, and she converts But he writes also in his memoirs that he had deep reservations about this because it was in such contravention of all the established norms in Judaism that conversion should be something slow and deliberate, something that is immersed both in learning and in sincerity, that has only shown itself over considerable months, if not years. Later on, after the state was founded ben would later go on to say that the only real Jew in the Ben-Gurion family was Mary. She lit Shabbat candles every Friday. She observed all of the Jewish holidays. And Prince wrote that on that weekend in London, he not only made a Jew, but also someone who was profoundly Jewish. The difference of what a Jew is as opposed to something Jewish, is seen at the very beginning of what I shared with you this morning. When the Israelites leave Egypt, along comes with them this Arab rab, this mixed multitude, and God asks Moses, should he convert them? And the ancient rabbis record that God says to him, don't convert them, Moses. To which the ancient rabbi said Moses did anyway. Because Moses deeply realized, that there are Jews and there are people who are Jewish. Being in Berlin, I realized and I met Jews who were not very Jewish at all and I met non-Jews who were deeply Jewish. Which reminds me about what our answer is. The one thing left to us in our hands is not the fact that we may or may not be Jews. The question for you this morning and every day of your life is how Jewish will you be? Shabbat Shalom.